0: Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi barakatuh Welcome everyone to episode number 112 from Delving into Islam podcast. This is your host, Wa'il, and it is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a privilege that I'm able to talk to you about the religion of Islam. And that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is allowing me to share my knowledge with you. Thank you so much for listening or participating and sending in all your questions and suggestions. And speaking of which, if you have any questions or suggestions, please email me at islam at gmail.com. Again, islam at gmail.com, and I will get back to you as soon as possible, inshallah. Uh, now, this podcast is for anyone, whether you are remotely curious about the religion of Islam or if you're thinking about becoming a Muslim or if you you know just became a muslim or if you've been a muslim all of your life and just want to learn more about islam this podcast is for you inshallah Allah. Uh, now with that being said let's get right into today's topic and today's topic is a little bit uh, it's it's an advanced topic it's you know not your you know for, for the average muslim uh, some people might be familiar with with certain terms that we will talk about but a lot of people don't know the the, the 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 usul or the you know the the roots of of what we will talk about which is the four schools of thought in islam now uh, be, be, before we get into that um, uh, i want to tell you why uh, we're talking about you know th- 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 today's topic uh, now, for those of you who don't know, within Islam, there are four within Sunnah Islam. So, for those who follow the Quran and the Sunnah, there are four different, uh, you know, schools of thought. And by the way, these are not meant to divide the Muslims, these are not like separate sects of the Muslims. No, 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 this is not like this is all within the Sunnah, and they're all aiming to. To further explain You know The Quran and the Sunnah So the, the it's, This is not a negative thing Actually this is a very positive thing And this is a very You know The, the, the intention And the, the 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 purpose behind You know Creating those Four schools of thought Was very You know To help the public When it comes to the Muslims Of course Understand Certain things That may be ambiguous In the Quran and the Sunnah And because You know The public The general people The common You know um, uh, Muslims Are not You know They're not scholars, so they might get confused regarding these, you know, specific issues, which are minor, alhamdulillah, in Islam. Now, the reason why I'm actually talking to you about this today is that I, I get, alhamdulillah, contacted by you guys. Uh, a lot, um, and I, I really appreciate your your you know your kind words, and I appreciate your even reaching out to even ask a question or to make a suggestion. So I was contacted by uh, a brother who is who claimed that he is a listener of the podcast, and he you know started by saying that he loves the podcast, listen to listens to it all the time, and alhamdulillah this is all from the blessings of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, uh, and he then he said you know he, he who's asking me about you know my my you know the sources and and the sources that i use and I simply told them, you know, the stuff when it comes to the Quran, what are the sources when it comes in terms of the interpretation, you know, by the by ibn Kathir and all these things. And when it comes to hadith, you know, by you know Sahih Bukhari and Sahih Muslim, Ibn Majah, all these things. And then when it comes to the biography of the Prophet, you know, Ibn Hisham, the books of you know the biography of Ibn Hisham, and you know, which is actually or originally taken from Ibn Ishaq, all these people with the with the, all these scholars with their books. And that was great. I mean, a lot of people ask me that question, and I gladly like to share my, my my sources. This is something that I would love to do. And many of you have asked, and alhamdulillah, I've been you know, giving uh, you know, those sources for you to even benefit more, because I don't tell you every little detail within these books, right? You can do your own research. But then uh, the brother asked me, uh, which madhab do you follow? Now, the word madhab in Arabic means a school of, basically, it's the school of thought. Which of the four schools of thought do you follow? And then I said, for me, me personally, I don't I'm not stricted, 100% stricted to one school of thought. And to him, that was, um, like shocking. His words, not mine. He was shocked. Uh, He was repelled by it. He basically doubted my basic Islamic knowledge, which is very, was very interesting to hear. Um, and, uh. You know, um, without any, and and it became an attack. Like, tell me, like, do you do you follow your own uh, methodology? Do you know, like, do you have do you follow your own desire, your own whims? I was like, is this? At first, all, I thought it was a prank. I I thought it was a friend of mine who was pranking me, you know, creating a fake account and. But turns out, no, that this this person was real, and um, you know, he was shocked that I did not strictly, hundred percent, followed one madhab. And he said that this is not allowed and, and all these things. And uh, yeah, it was a very odd, it, the, the, the conversation t- took a very, very odd turn. And I don't know the, the intention of, of, of our brother here, and I don't know if he had an agenda because he seemed to be very focused on this whole, you know, uh, school of thought question. And he really wanted me to answer that question and... I don't know if he literally. I don't know if he had an agenda or not. It seemed like there was something unusual about his questions, uh, but I cannot tell, you know, or uh, understand or know people's intentions. So I cannot claim someone's intentions, like the Prophet taught us. I don't know. It was just odd, very odd. It was a very, very uncomfortable, odd conversation, and I ended up just not responding for the rest of the stuff. And he's probably probably listening right now, or not. I'm just, you know, I don't. I'm not trying to put that brother on the spot. The reason why I'm mentioning this is for two main reasons. the The first reason is we should learn from this situation. Um, We cannot, as Muslims, talk to whether fellow Muslims or even non-Muslims who are asking about the religion in that manner. We should have more better manners when we're talking about, you know, Islam. When we're, even if you think you're right, even if you have a difference of opinion and you think you're right, have some manners when you're talking with, again, either a fellow Muslim or non-Muslim. At the end of the day, if you're talking to a non-Muslim about Islam, I'm assuming your intention is to preach to them Islam. And if you're being rude and you don't have manners, trust me, that won't help. Uh, And, Part of the reason why people were in love with Islam during the time of the Prophet ﷺ is because of the mannerisms of the Prophet ﷺ himself. You know, he had a smile, he was always listening, and he had the ability to, you know, debate in a very polite, calm way. So for that person to, and again, this is not putting him, no one knows who he is uh, from you guys. So I'm not trying to put anyone on the spot. I'm just saying we should learn from that. Do not go and attack someone just because you you have a different opinion. You know, you, you don't have the same opinion um, as they do, right? You can go and accuse someone like, oh, I have, now you made me question your basic Islamic knowledge. And I even asked him a question. I said, so what is it exactly that I said on my podcast that you disagree with? That you're not comfortable with Of course he never gave me an answer But he kept asking about which exactly school of thought like, And what do you mean And I'm going to explain exactly What do I mean by the, the whole four schools of thought And should we really follow one or not On all these things But it was very interesting The way he presented himself The way he asked the question It is something that a Muslim should not A true believer should not talk that way I'm not saying he's not a true believer I'm just saying that you have to enhance your manners, and when you're talking to anyone, doesn't matter if Muslim or not, when you're debating or you're talking to someone about the religion, if they tell you something and you don't agree with, just require an explanation, because guess what, you might be wrong. Trust me, you might be wrong. So if you're wrong and 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 you're vulgar and you're attacking and you're making people feel uncomfortable, then it really like really looks bad, right? Um, And you don't want to, you know, have that, um, uh, you know, on you. And also, another thing, part of the beauty of our religion is that when we're different, we are civilized human beings. Despite what Islamophobes or or people outside of Islam call Muslims, we are totally, 100% civilized people because our religion tells us so. Because the Prophet tells us how to have manners, right? So, again... Having thinking that you're right is is fine as long as you do not cross the line of, you know, uh, being polite, do not be rude when you talk to other people. And, you know, it, it's very rare when I walk out or when I stop having an argument because of someone's attitude and that's the case that happened here. So again, if, if for those of you do not get too defensive, too possessive over your own opinion in a weird way, in a way that will make the conversation become odd because really it doesn't help anyone, right? So that's for that. So that's the lesson that we should learn. So that is the first reason why I'm bringing this up. The second reason is that made me this, this situation after like a couple of days, I actually, you know, I I stopped responding to that person, not for their question. It's just for the way that they were asking the question. Like I think at the end of the the conversation, he was like, now I know what I needed to know. Like, this is not a, you know, like a dramatic soap opera. Like, with all due respect, it's just, it was like a little odd. Wallahi. Uh, But again, I I stopped responding uh, respectfully, of course. Um, um, And then a couple days later, I just started thinking about it. I was like, maybe I should talk about this. But what, because what if other people have the same perception and the same extremism when it comes to their own school of thought? And that's not what Islam and Sunnah Islam is about at all. And you know, like we should not be like that. So today, I wanted to explain to people um, what is the four schools of thought, and what is the verdict on following one specific one or not. We're going to talk about this, inshallah. And yeah, I think it is a, actually a very critical topic. For those of you who don't know what it is, I, 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 what is you know the four schools of thought? I'm pretty sure you've, you've come across a scholar who is basically saying a, a ruling on something, and he said according to the Hanafi madhab or according to the Shafi'i madhab or you know he's he's basically referencing certain madhabs, and like I said, a madhab is a school of thought. And some of you might have been, what does that mean? Aren't we all following the Sunnah of the Prophet? You know, firstly the Quran, then the Sunnah of the Prophet. What is this according to? Like you know, and today, Alhamdulillah, I will talk to you about this. So let's let's start. In this this is the four schools of thought is in within Sunnah Islam. This is not a different sect of Islam. Do not, you know, there is no division here. There is absolutely no division So I don't want you to get confused This is not like uh, Sunnah and Shia Or Sufism No, no, this is completely separate This is the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. We follow strictly the Sunnah and you know uh, uh, Ahl al-Salaf and the tabeen And all these things But there are minor differences When it comes to something called Fiqh Fiqh in Arabic means Rulings on certain things Again, very minor Wallahi, very extreme, like, even, you know, some of the scholars this summer, they said it's like about maybe 5% of the rulings are rulings that are kind of ambiguous to the normal Muslim, to the average Muslim, the, and we'll give examples, are kind of ambiguous. So the scholars, the four imams, which is basically the leaders of the four, uh, or the creators, or the founders or, or of the four, four schools of thought, you know, tried their best to... Basically, further explain these ambiguous things, which were again like very minor. So, let's make it a rule the four uh, uh, schools of thought were created. With the purpose of further explaining the religion to the public To the average Muslim who is not knowledgeable, right? And, you know, um, and only, only the difference is only when it comes to the ambiguous uh, uh, matters When it comes to fiqh when it comes to rulings on certain actions There are some ambiguous rulings that these scholars, these four scholars, these four imams Were, you know, trying to explain to the public you get it so again when it comes to rulings on certain issues 5% of these rulings very mi- minority you know part of these rulings um are ambiguous in the quran and the sunnah so certain scholars for imams in specific try to you know further explain uh, those rulings and within that explanation that 5% came the difference right so they try to explain all the rulings and 5% of that those rulings are different from, you know, from one, you know, from one madhab to another. That is simply as that. Again, I, I know I keep repeating myself, but I know this could be a little bit confusing. Four imams try to explain the Quran and the Sunnah further to the average Muslim. And they agree 95% of the time what's halal is halal what's haram is haram how we pray certain things are again the the major things the critical things the important things all four madhabs all four schools of thought agree on you get it so 95% of the time the four schools of thought agree on the same ruling on the same fiqh okay of the time around, this is not like very specifically, but like, you know, around 5% of the time, there are minor differences, not major, not life-changing differences. It's just how to approach things, okay? So that is... In a nutshell, now we have four madhabs. Like I said, Uh, starting with uh, and not in a specific order, the Hanbali madhab. This is based on Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, so you can you you might hear that the Hanbali madhab. The second madhab is the Maliki madhab, based on Imam Malik. The third madhab is the Hanafi madhab, based uh, on Imam Abu Hanifa, and uh, the fourth madhab is the Shafi'i madhab, and based on the Imam Al Shafi'i. So these are our four madhabs. Um, like I said Again They all agree 95% of the time And there's Some minor differences Like 5% When it comes to Rulings on things And they're all You know Aiming Again All of the madhabs Are aiming To further explain That they're all following The Quran and the sunnah There's no outside here Of our You know Circle of sunnah It's all within uh, uh, Sunni Islam Now Also What was meant by these madhabs Were not to do, to divide the Muslims That w- That's not, not what was meant Do you understand? On the contrary Actually there, these four madhabs Were trying to serve the Muslims Try to get the better Or the best Or the most accurate Approach to the sunnah Of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. You get it So it was not meant To divide people Like someone like the brother Who was texting me and And, and it seems like He's very very adamant about Which side are you on? Maybe that's not what he meant, but that's how it came out. And again, it's really not that serious. When I'm talking, and, and I'm going to tell you when it's serious, there is actually a, a serious portion for those who do not follow a specific one or those who pick and choose. We'll talk, or we'll address that. But you can't go fight someone or you know have a problem with someone Islamically because you don't know where they stand exactly. They're all supposed to be together. Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala in the chapter of Al Imran. Verse number 103. What does Allah say? Hold on to the religion of Allah. And do not divide over matters in the world. As long as these matters are halal, as long as these matters are permissible, as long as these you know these matters are within the sunnah, Do not differ. And well, you can actually differ, but do not make those differences divide you. You know, because at the end of the day, we're supposed to be supposed to be a one nation. But with 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 trends like that, that one nation is divided little by little. And when people are very extreme towards whatever they believe in, yeah, that becomes a problem. Ironically speaking, when you believe in one or you follow not just believe in if you follow a specific madhab, a specific school of thought, you're still equal. In terms of like another school of thought, because you're following the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ after the Quran, so it's just it's it's very interesting how people sometimes perceive these four you know schools of thought. Now, before I talk about the 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 differences and who should follow and who shouldn't follow and all these things, let's talk about this: which one is correct? If someone asks, which one is correct of these four? Uh, schools of thought well let me ask you a question which one is correct when i tell you anti or anti again if i say anti or anti well i'll put in a sentence which 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 is correct antivirus or antivirus they're both correct people say anti some people say anti does it matter they're both correct. If I tell you anti or anti, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about, right? They both mean the same thing. They're both accurate. They're just being, you know, pronounced differently. Same thing with often and often. Some people say often. Some people say often. Which one is correct? They're both correct. It's just some people, you know, pronounce the T the, 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 the and some people don't. The T to them is silent. They both mean the same thing. Color, in terms of writing, right? In terms of like, how do you uh, spell certain words? Color in American English is C-O-L-O-R. Color in British English is C-O-L-O-U-R. Which one is correct? They're both the same. Armor, again, English, uh, British English versus um, American English. One with an O, one with an O-U. Does it really matter? It's it's the same thing. So same thing applies on uh, the four schools of thought. They're all correct. Newsflash: they're all correct. Because again, the approaches that they take, the difference, the five percent, is not something that will be uh, considered to be incorrect. They're all trying their best to get to you know. When it comes to the ambiguous stuff, again, the clear stuff in our Quran and Sunnah are very clear in all four madhabs. They don't. Diff- that's why ninety-five percent of the time, they all agree. The stuff that are ambiguous, well, everyone tries their best to get it to the, you know, as close as possible to the sunnah of the Prophet. That's it. They're all correct. They're all correct. Now, here's the thing. When, uh, you know, uh, the major scholars, you know, like the four Imams, try to come up with rulings in fiqh, right? Uh, you know, the how to have a fiqh ruling on certain things. Again, like I said, very minor things. They uh, need a specific types or specific number of criteria, sources to to go back to and derive that ruling from. In f- and number one, number the number one source is what Quran, right? Our number one source when we're when when major scholars are deriving some fiqh rulings, they go back to the Quran. Guess what? All four madhabs, all four schools of thought, they go back to Qur'an as the number one source. So they all agree on that. Great. Number two, the second source, or the second criteria when deriving a ruling is something called hadith mutawatir. What is the hadith mutawatir? This is a little bit, you know, for those of you who do not know, hadith mutawatir is the most authentic type of hadith. It's called mutawatir because basically it is said and narrated by a lot of companions and all of them heard it from the Prophet ﷺ directly, which means this is as authentic as it gets. You know, sometimes in the past, when I would tell you guys this hadith is as authentic as it gets, that is a hadith mutawatir, right? Which is basically, Omar uh, heard, for example, a specific hadith from the Prophet ﷺ. Abu Bakr heard the same hadith. Uh, Ali heard, heard it, you know, Ibn Abbas. All these companions, they directly heard it from the Prophet ﷺ in, in Numerous times Or at the same time It doesn't matter And they all narrated it separately And that becomes Different narrations But it all goes back To the Prophet ﷺ From you know Through different people That makes it As authentic As it gets So that is what's, What it says by Or what it's meant By hadith mutawatir. This is the most Authentic type of hadith Right There is no denying it There is no Doubt about it so that is our second, you know, uh, source of, of of knowledge when it comes to uh, coming up with rulings in Islam. Now, starting the third source, this is when the scholars differ. They have different meth- methodologies of, you know, deriving the third, you know, source. For example, so for some scholars, for some now we're talking about the different imams, right? For different uh, schools of thought, for some. It is something called hadith uh, al-ahad Or, you know, the hadith of the ones Or the hadith of the individuals What does that mean? It means one individual, one companion Heard a specific hadith from the Prophet ﷺ And narrated it Now, another companion heard that first companion So he narrated the same hadith A third companion heard that first companion And narrated it So there's multiple narrations Of that hadith, but they're all going back to one companion who only heard it from the Prophet. So it is one individual, one single individual who heard it directly from the Prophet. That's why the hadith called the individual hadith or the hadith of the ones, the person one people, or one person who basically straight up heard it directly from the Prophet. It's still authentic but it's not as authentic as the Hadith Mutawatir because multiple people heard it from the Prophet so there's was, there was no denying it. Do you get it? Like, I'll give you an example. The Hadith of Innama Al-A'amalu Niyat. The Prophet said, uh, our deeds are, go, you know, will always be based on our intentions. Okay. Now, this is one of the most, you know, famous Hadith and it's very authentic because who heard it from the Prophet? It was Umar ibn al-Khattab. Many people, Heard it, but they all heard it from who? From Umar ibn khattab They didn't hear it from the Prophet ﷺ directly That's what makes it an Ahadi hadith Or an individual hadith You know, Umar ibn khattab heard it directly from the Prophet ﷺ And he told people And then many people took that And they spread it And that's basically it Is it authentic? 100% Is it as authentic as if many companions All heard it from the Prophet ﷺ? No, it's not you get it. So there is something called the level of you know levels of uh, authenticity. So when it comes to hadith, there are levels of authenticity. The not, the highest level is the hadith mutawatir, and then the hadith ahadi, and all these things, right? So some again go back to let's go back to that third source, right? That third criteria. Some uh, madhabs they believe that the uh, you know the individual hadith, the hadith ahadi, is the third source. However, other madhabs, other people would say, well, I don't know if you can trust this one companion. And there's nothing wrong with the companion. They're not attacking the companion. They say that there might be a higher priority source than this Ahadi Hadith. Some say, for example, Al-Urf, which is the custom, which is basically what the people of Medina at the time used to do in a specific... Again, we're addressing one specific ruling here. This, is, this does not apply because most of the religion is a clear cut, you know, halal and haram, what we should do and what we shouldn't do. We're talking about that. We're playing in the 5% here. You get it. This is we're playing in the minority here stuff when it comes to the religion. So when it comes to the, you know, one of the issues of the 5%, some might say, if we go back to what the people in Medina for that specific situation, for that specific issue, how they acted, let's follow their actions instead of following the individual hadith another group or another you know school of thought might say well, you know what we're going to do something called analogy which is we're going to compare this hadith to uh, or this situation to another hadith to a hadith mutawatir and we're going to derive from that other hadith a ruling regarding this issue do you understand it's very simple they're all correct it's just they all have different prior like they all prioritize the 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 third and the fourth and whatever the sources after some actually some of them have four only four sources. Some of them have seven sources. It depends on again on the school and it's all good for the sake of explaining, you know, certain things to the Muslims. They're not contradicting each other. Yes, there are differences of opinion, but it's not like the sunnah is self-contradicting. It's just how they understood certain things or how they prioritize certain things, right? So I hope that, you know, that example that I gave you about, you know, the third source worked. And again, for the fourth source and the fifth, again, it's the same thing. What is What, the, what, is, what does have a higher priority when it comes to you know, uh, consideration when it comes to a source of you know, knowledge When it comes to uh, a ruling, right? So that is that So they're all correct For example Certain madhabs, they say that when it comes to prayers Anything, any fiqh issue regarding prayers Any ruling regarding prayer Any little action regarding prayers Should be strictly taken only from hadith mutawatir. Why? Why did they say that? Because they said that the Prophet ﷺ prayed five times a day almost in front of all the companions. There is no denying it. So that has to come from many companions. They have to narrate it. That how he prayed and all these things should come from multiple companions. Hence, we should only accept it when it is coming from Hadith mutawatir, which is multiple companions narrating the same thing and they... Either saw the Prophet doing it directly, or they heard the Prophet talking about it directly. Some other schools of thought they're saying no. We can put in consideration. We can add to this an, uh, 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 the ahadi hadith or the hadith of the individual. If one companion authentically, you know, it was proven that he actually heard something from the Prophet ﷺ directly. One person, we still we still can't take when it comes to prayers. We still should consider that as well as a source of the fiqhi uh, issues when it comes to prayers. So again, you have group saying only hadith mutawatir when it comes to prayers, and we have another group saying yes hadith mutawatir plus hadith ahadi. It's it's that simple. So that is one one area of difference. Another area is some people uh, believe that. Certain hadith are more authentic than others. And this is when another difference comes. So we talked about the Okay, they know that the hadith mutawatir, nobody disagrees on that. Don't know all four schools of thought. They agree on the hadith mutawatir and how important it is and all these things. However, some people say, well, this hadith, that's not mutawatir. Now we're talking about different hadith. Uh, Maybe it's not that authentic. Maybe it's weak because the chain of narrations, you know, has a problem. And again, not when it comes to the major stuff. I just want you to keep thinking about this. We're talking about minor, 5% of the issues. This is where the scholars differ, uh, the four imams differ. Do you understand? So, you know, they have a level of, you know, I believe that this hadith is, and they're not doing it based, by the way, they're not doing it based on their own preference. No, they have a logical explanation and a logical tracing of the hadith and they say, well, I don't think this hadith is is as authentic as the other hadith or, you know, it's not on the level of hadith mutawatir, and all these things, right? So that is another difference that could happen between the four madhabs. Another one is actually the difference in understanding a specific hadith. So they could both agree that the hadith is authentic, okay? I mean, all four could agree that one specific hadith is authentic. However, all four could, the four imam, we're talking about the ambiguous stuff here. I'm sorry, I know I keep repeating this, but I just don't want you to think that this happens to every single thing in Islam. The ambiguous stuff... All four, because I don't want you to think that any imam or any scholar could just interpret things on their own. No, we're talking about ambiguous stuff that the Prophet did not make it clear cut, or the Quran did not make it clear cut. So now they try to understand it further. So, all let's say there is one specific hadith, everyone agrees it's authentic, but all four schools of thought they understand it differently. Let me give you an example. During salah, during prayers, uh, there is a hadith, uh, authentic hadith. Uh, that said that the Prophet ﷺ, when he went to Ruku'a, so for those of you who do not, Ruku'a means when, uh, you know, you'll be standing, uh, uh, reciting, you know, Al-Fatiha and then another Surah, and then you go down to uh, put your hands uh, on your knees and you bend a little bit, and then you say subhana rabbi al-Azim three times and you go back. So that is that the action when you bend, that, that is basically called Ruku'a. So the Hadith said that the Prophet ﷺ, when he finishes Ruku'a and he goes back to, you know, standing position, he keeps his hands as they were before that ruku again when the prophet ﷺ uh, was seen praying then when he goes to ruku he says subhana rabbil three times when he gets back he said that the prophet places his hands the same way he placed them you know before that ruku now here's the interesting part some of the four schools of thought they said okay so that means the Prophet had his hands on his chest, right? So when this is the, the 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 Sunnah way of praying, and then when you go down, and you uh, say Subhan Rabbil aladhim, Subhan Rabbil Subhan Rabbil when you go back, you place your hands back on your chest because that's what the Hadith said, right? You place your hands back on your chest because the Prophet would put his hands back the same way he had it before rukuah. So that is one group. Another group said, this is the same hadith We're talking about the same hadith but Because the hadith is ambiguous It doesn't tell you exactly how the Prophet put his hand After the ruku'ah So now the other, they they basically said Okay We have a different interpretation We understood this differently It is said that the Prophet put his hand back His hands back As they were before ruku'ah But the, what's meant here is Before the prayers even started What do you mean? You'll see that some people, when they go to Ruku'ah and say subhanahu rabbi al-Azim three times and they go back, they put their hands down, you know, on their sides. Because that's what they believe that the Prophet ﷺ had his hands before the Salah started. So the word before here, look at this, was understood by different schools of thought differently. Some said that before means before the Ruku'ah but still during prayers. So after the prayer started, but before Rukua, when you have your hands on your chest, that is the before. So that's why when he got back, he would put it back on his chest. Okay? Another understood that word before is before prayers even started. Not after, before even started. And what happens when you, you know, before you start a prayer? Your hands are on your sides. They're down. You put your hands down. You don't put your hands on your chest because you didn't even start the Salah yet, right? So they're saying, so that's why, when you go to the court and you go back, put your hands on your sides because that's what is understood that you put your hands, you know, as it were as they were before you started Salah. Both correct. There's nothing incorrect, there's no incorrect choice here. It's just how these you know different schools of thought understood the, the, the text of the hadith. Both agree that the hadith is authentic both also agreed that the hadith was ambiguous in terms of like, so what is that position exactly? And that's what made them understand it differently. You know, it's very simple. Allah. It's something very simple. Alhamdulillah. As a matter of fact... This actually uh, happened, this, this difference of opinion, of understanding the, the words of the Prophet ﷺ happened during the life of the Prophet ﷺ himself. But he wasn't physically present there. That's what caused the confusion. If he was there, they would have asked him, he would have clarified it and done. But the thing is, he wasn't there. And we ta- actually, we talked about this, uh, but we didn't get into the detail of the situation back in, 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 the, in the previous season. After the battle of uh, the trench, right? the, the, the battle of Khandaq. The Prophet, you know, when Jibreel came to him and he told him, Do not put your armor down, you're going to go now and, you know, attack Banu Quraida, you know, the Jews of Medina who betrayed the Muslims, who committed treason and tried to kill the women and the children of the Muslims, right? So now, Angel uh, Jibreel told the Prophet, Go and attack them in their fortress, because they had a fortress, for those of you who remember the episode. So the Prophet did what? He put back his armor and he basically told the criers in the street, Go tell the Muslims. To not pray Asr unless they get to Banu Qurayda. So only pray Asr at Banu Qurayda. Now, the Prophet ﷺ meant by this to hurry up, hurry up, run to Banu Qurayda, right? Hurry up and go and, and, and pray there because it, this is a metaphoric speaking. So the Muslims started preparing themselves and going on their way to Banu Qurayda. Now, uh, some Muslims were, you know, went later uh, than others. So the Prophet was already there. He was, you know, he, he went before them and he waited for them there. Now, certain Muslims, certain groups of the companions, right? They realized the time and they realized that the Asr is going to finish. Maghrib is coming, and they were going to miss Asr. So they split. Look here at the difference of of uh, understanding the, the the words of the Prophet. Some they understood that the Prophet didn't mean it literally. And so they stopped and they said, We're going to miss Asr if we keep going without praying. So some of them stopped and they prayed. So they were more delayed. Some of them, they took the words of the Prophet ﷺ literally and they did not want to disobey him because we know the companions never, you know, ever wanted to disobey the Prophet. ﷺ. So they took his words literally and they still went to Banu Qurayda. And because of that, they missed Asr but they prayed it as soon as they got there. Now, which group is correct? Which group is correct? Later on, the Prophet basically it was obvious that he did not mean miss Asr to go and pray in you know at Banu Quraida. He meant hurry up, speed it up, come on, go fast. But the Prophet never rebuked those who missed Asr and went to pray there because he understood their intentions. He understood that they could, they're human beings. They misunderstood, and he knew that he was, you know, when he thought about it, he was being ambiguous He didn't specifically say, unless you're going to miss Asr, then pray on, you know, on the way He didn't specifically mention that So to the companions, that command was ambiguous You know, pray Asr there Some people were like, okay, you pray Asr there, but we cannot miss it So if you're going to miss it, we're just going to stop and pray and some people say, no, the Prophet ﷺ say, pray Asra there. There's no we no matter what happens, we're only gonna pray it there. The Prophet ﷺ did not make a big deal about it. And the Prophet ﷺ used to make a big deal if somebody misses salah, right? It's the most important act of worship. But he understood that okay, they misunderstood what I said. It's fine. You get it? So that even in the times of the Prophet, this happened. They're both correct. One, we're trying to follow the commands of the Prophet ﷺ to the, you know, to, to the letter. And once understood what he meant, and they wanted to do the right thing by praying on time, subhanallah. And this, again, like like I said, this this happens. You know, this is not a, a you know a, a weird thing or this is not an uncommon thing. This happened during the times it was very rare. Only when the Prophet was not physically there, so that's why you get the confusion. You know, but while the Prophet was there, Alhamdulillah there was never a confusion because he was always there to explain the situation. Another difference between the, the the four schools of thought: what could be the difference in understanding now the Hadith, uh, the meaning of Hadith, and they could, you know, understand verses of the Quran differently as well. And one of the biggest, actually, the most funny thing is like it's there's a difference of opinion when there is a, a verse in the Quran basically talking about w- when a woman touches a man, uh, while that man is in the state of wudu, the man has to redo his wudu. He has to make the wudu. Again, now we're talking about like a, a wife, for example Now, some of the schools of thought, they said Okay, if they literally just just touch Just touch So if, if you shake your wife's hands You have to go do your wudu. They took that, that verse literally However, other schools of thought, they said what? Well, the word lemus or lems in Arabic has sexual could have a sexual connotation to it, could have a sexual meaning. So basically, Allah is saying if you get together sexually with your spouses, you have to redo your wudu. If you get and not just you know the matter of like intercourse, no, no, no. If you like do anything to initiate if you become in in any way shape or form sexual before not necessarily of course the and of course you have to you know do ghusl and do tahara and you know wash yourself and purify yourself nobody's denying that but we're saying Allah is saying when you the word lamasa in a sexual way if you touch your wife in a sexual way then you have to redo your wudu so some take it literally just touching again if you you know touch her body even by coincidence or by accident you have to go redo your wudu and some say, no, that it is meant touching sexually. They're both trying, striving to get the most accurate interpretation of those, you know, those verses. So again, it's, it's very simple. And again, like I said, it's in very minor things. Uh... Actually, here's the thing, there are, and I'm going to give you, now after the death of the Prophet ﷺ, there were a few things, and again, still in the minor stuff There were a few things that basically the companions differed on, or they got confused about And one of the most famous things is the iddah of a pregnant woman So let's say, for example, a woman got divorced So what is, uh, you know, uh, the iddah? For a pregnant woman, for example, uh for those of you who do not know, let's say, for example, a woman who got divorced and she's pregnant, right? Now, she has to wait a specific you know amount of time until she remarries again. So that is The Daida is the period of time that a pregnant woman who was divorced or who was married before should wait in order for her to get married again. So that is daidda, right? Now it's in the chapter of Talaq, verse number four, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala explicitly said, wa an Allah said their they should wait until they give birth, until they deliver the baby. Once that woman gives birth to her ba- to her baby from her, you know, first husband, then she should marry after delivery. Okay, great, wonderful. Now what is the idda for a widowed? Lady, like um, you know, someone who her husband passed away, she has to wait four months and ten days. This is in the cha- as again explicit in the chapter of Baqarah, verse number two hundred and thirty four. Allah subhanahu wa taala said, مِنْكُمْ وَيَذْرُونَ أَزْوَاجًا يَتَرَبَّصْنَ أَرْبَعَةَ This is in the Quran. Allah is saying, a woman who her husband passed away. Should wait, to, 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 to get married again She should wait 4 months and 10 days 4 months and 10 days to, you know, get married again Wonderful Okay, very clear cut Here's the question What is the ida now For a pregnant widow? Think about it What is the ida for a pregnant widow? Someone that, you know, her husband passed away while she was pregnant. Is it, you know, until she delivers or is it to wait four months and 10 days? Which one is it? It's very complicated. And the Prophet was not there to tell them. So Ali, uh, Ali ibn Abi Talib, the cousin of the Prophet, and Ibn Abbas, they basically made a fatwa, a ruling, that it should be the longer of the two. Again, it should be And I always tell you this by the way Remember, I said to stay away from the grey area Always try to do more As a Muslim should try to Like zakah, if you don't know exactly What is 2.5%, try to pay more Because you don't want to be below the threshold Always try to be above the threshold And this is one example Ali and Ibn Abbas, they both said Okay, let her do A pregnant widow Let her adda be the longer of the two What does that mean? It means if she gave birth, if she gave birth, if she delivers her child before the four months and 10 days, she should wait until the four months and 10 days. Again, if a pregnant widow delivers her child, she gives birth before uh, uh, four months and 10 days after the death of her husband, she should wait until this period. She should wait four months and 10 days. However, If a pregnant widow uh, uh, does not deliver before the four months and the ten days, she should wait until she delivers. So basically she always has to wait for the longer of the two. And that was the ruling for a while. Until, look at this, a companion by the name of Abu Musa came to Ali and told him straight up, I heard the Prophet ﷺ saying this. He said that he permitted a pregnant widow to get married right after she gave birth, and she didn't have to wait four months and 10 days. Basically, it was a few days after the death of her husband. She did not have to wait even a month. You know, a few days after the th- death of her husband, as soon as she gave birth, she was allowed to get married again. So Ali and Ibn Abbas went back to that ruling and they changed it based on the authentic hadith that came directly from the Prophet to Abu Musa, that companion who told Ali what happened. See, it happens. The companions, this is a very interesting story, right? And there are others. You know, there's another example that uh, Abu Musa, again, the same companion, and Umar ibn khattab they were friends. They were really close friends. And one time Abu Musa went to visit Omar ibn Khattab in his house. So he went there and he knocked on Omar three times. Knocked once, waited, Omar did not respond. Knocked again, Omar did not respond. Knocked the third time, Omar did not respond, so he left. Then later on, Omar came late to the door. And basically he was waiting. Omar was he heard the knocks from a distance, but he was expecting Abu Musa He knew it was Abu Musa He was expecting for him to knock and just go right in So he told him Like Omar later on met Abu Musa He said why did you leave Like I came to the door but you were already left I thought you were going to come in What happened So Abu Musa said didn't you hear The Prophet Sallallahu I heard it and again Abu Musa again Saying that he heard it directly from the Prophet That he said Seek permission to enter someone's home Three times If you're not given permission Walk away Leave Again Abu Musa Heard the Prophet ﷺ Saying that If you are about to Go into someone's house Seek permission To enter Three times Three you know Separate times So knock one time Wait for permission Knock again Wait for permission Knock a third time Wait for permission If you don't get it Leave So Umar bin khattab said Are you sure The Prophet ﷺ Said that Because I never heard him Saying that If I heard him I would have came to you Right away And opened the door And then Abu Musa said, I heard it directly from him. And then, you know, now he knows the ruling. Again, this is not a strange thing. This happened during, you know, the the times of the companions, even during the time of the Prophet ﷺ. But of course that happened because he was not available physically where they misunderstood this whole, you know, Asr prayer thing. At the end of the day, this is not something that is meant to divide the Muslims. This is meant to, again, further explain our Quran and Sunnah. Yes, you could have a difference of opinion. You can have a different, uh, you know, understanding. But at the end of the day, we should not think of this as sects and groups, and we have to be from, you know, team the Hambari or the team of the Shafi'i against and whatever the other, uh, you know, uh, um, what you call it. whatever the other schools of thought say. This is incorrect because it contradicts what I know. That's inaccurate. That's not the whole purpose at all of the four schools of thought. Now let's get to the 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 ruling on which we should follow, and which, like, what what is going on? Should we follow strictly uh, a one school of thought or not? Now there are three types of or three categories of people when it comes to Islamic knowledge. Three types of people when it comes to Islamic knowledge. The number one is the scholars. So these are, when it comes to Islamic knowledge, these are on top, of course. Number two is something called the students of knowledge. Okay? Number three is basically the layman or the common uh, Muslims, the average Muslims, who are neither scholars nor they are, you know, students of knowledge. As for the scholars, I'm going to start with the scholars, and the students of knowledge, which, alhamdulillah, I am from the students of knowledge, So these two categories, these two types of of, of individuals, the, 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 the scholars and the students of knowledge, they don't have to strictly, again, follow one specific madhab. Why? Why? Why is that? Because they possess the knowledge. They can actually understand that there might be, they might be following or preferring one more madhab than other, right? But not for, not for personal gains or not for personal reasons not for selfish reasons because that would be impermissible that would be straight up sin if you just it's easier for you it's it's more convenient for you to follow a specific madhab no and sometimes there are opinions from the again we're talking about minor stuff here very minor stuff and then it happens that there's let's say a hadith that was understood by another school that made more sense in terms of the narration, in terms of like the understanding, in terms of the chain of narrations. So, it is allowed for, again, scholars and students of knowledge to sometimes go outside of that one madhab, right? Do you get it? So, again, you, and it's not cherry picking, it's not you're picking it because it's easier. This becomes haram. This is what I, what I mean by this is strictly impermissible, this is strictly forbidden you cannot go to another school of thought because it's easier for for you to do what they, you know, saying or the ruling, to follow the rulings because it's more convenient. If it's for a personal reason or it's more convenient, then you're committing you cannot fool Allah. Who are you fooling? You cannot fool Allah. You understand? It is allowed for, you know, a, a student of knowledge, a, a scholar to not strictly just solely fo- you know follow a specific madhab, you can, when you find other hadith that maybe to you make more sense intellectually, you can, again, following a, 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 a specific school of thought uh, in, in or not following a specific school of thought is not sinful in any way, shape, or form. You understand? It's not. It's like as if a new convert is becoming a Muslim and they take the shahada. You know, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, Muhammadan Rasulullah. Then you will be like, Oh, mashallah, welcome, brother, welcome, sister. Now, which school of thought are you going to join? Tell us now. It doesn't work like that. You know, some people die without knowing anything about schools of thought. They just follow their local imams, their local scholars, and they basically inherit from those scholars whatever that madhabs they follow. You get it? And so that is, again, for the scholars and the students of knowledge. They have the ability to differentiate between an authentic hadith. They have the ability to understand the situation they're in. Sometimes they might be in a situation that they have to follow a different uh, ruling. Like, for example, if you are traveling um, and you're, you you want to pray and you are with people, now some schools of thought they say that you should uh, pray uh, do combine the prayers and shorten them so let's say dhuhr and asr you pray two rakas and two instead of four and four and you sh- combine them you pray them one after the other immediately some schools of thought they say shorten but do not combine now let's say that you follow one school of thought you are knowledgeable right you know this and you don't want to embarrass the people In front of you You don't want to cause a fitna You don't want to cause a division Then follow them It's okay If they're all combining And you don't believe Or you don't want to follow This whole combining prayers Just do it for the sake of the situation So that is what I meant When I told our listener I don't strictly follow One specific madhab I sometimes go out of my madhab Go out of that that school of thought Because I feel like This hadith and, and that interpretation of the hadith makes more sense Not for personal gains That will be sinful Sinful, that's a sin If you do this because it's more convenient Allah, Well, you can't fool people But you cannot fool Allah You have to deal with Allah As a scholar, as a student of knowledge Because you know better So that's why you know scholars and students of knowledge Are not required to specifically Strictly, 100% Follow one madhab you get it. Now let's come to the third type of people, which is the layman, the, the average Muslim, the, the common Muslim. Now it is recommended that they all follow one. Spe- now we have actually two different opinions. There are opinions that says they can strict, they have to follow a madhab, they have to follow a specific uh, school of thought because they they don't know the difference between a hadith and a verse in the Quran. They don't know if this hadith is authentic or not. So they should, in, instead of them getting confused in the world of like a weak hadith versus authentic hadith versus, versus um, you know, uh, inauthentic hadith versus, you know, all these things, they should stay or stick with a madhab, so their lives will be easier. Also, you know, they don't want to be picking and choosing right so they want to they don't want to say oh you know what I'm going to take this this part from the hanbali madhab oh but you know the shafii madhab has this part it's, it's easier for me to do so this part I'm going to take it from the shafii madhab and that that third part I'm going to take it from the you know hanafi madhab and that again this is sinful you're not playing games with allah right yes it is regarding minor stuff in the religion but at the end of the day you 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 don't play games with allah Right? The idea that you want to take what's convenient for you is, is is wrong And it's haram and it's impermissible So that is one opinion about the, 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 the common Muslims Another actually, opinion says, no A common Muslim, a layman, should not have uh, a school of thought Because they don't even know what a school of thought is They don't understand the usul, the roots the the, 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 the the sources that bring those rulings to life Like we talk like Quran, Sunnah, Hadith, mutawatir, All these things They don't even know what that is So how come someone claims That they belong to a specific uh, School of thought When they don't even know what a school of thought is So you have two difference of opinion At the end of the day We follow the Quran and the Sunnah Right? That is what's convenient Do not complicate your life You know Yes, there are restrictions you do not pick and choose rulings because that is sinful you don't play with games or you want to stick with a madhab to make your life easier go ahead and be with that madhab if you want to um take and, and this uh, actually the, the opinion that says that uh, the layman should not have their own schools of thought they actually have a very good argument they say that whatever the scholar or the imam the local scholar or the local imam that they go to they should Automatically inherit from them their school of thought, because you follow their verdict. If you want to pick cherry pick from different madhabs rulings that fit your agenda, you are sinful. There is no doubt about it. But if you're, for example, following the Sunnah, trying your best, and it happened that certain things that you do, they're they're are taken from certain different madhabs, don't kill yourself. Don't go try to study a madhab. That's not the whole point. All depends on your intention. You know, for, school, so for scholars, for students of knowledge, sometimes you are left in a situation that you have to take something from another madhab. There's just nothing wrong with it. It all depends on the intention. If you think, if you do that to make your life easier, then you are sinful. If you're doing that because it's necessity and because you understand other hadith differently, or you that that understanding of the hadith makes more sense to you on an intellectual, logical, and a faithful level, go ahead. You get it. So, for example, I'll give an example. Some some schools of thought they say you should not wipe when you have wudu, you should not wipe on your socks. Okay, so what if you are in a situation that you're wearing socks and you cannot take off your socks and you need to make wudu? And you do not follow the whole wiping on the socks thing. What would you do? What would you do? Go ahead and again, if it's gonna make your life difficult, the religion is aiming to make our lives easier, not more difficult. So for those of you who are very, you know, strict on, you no, know, I'm, I'm, I'm dying on this madhab, and even if, you know, if it g- gives me hard time, I'm not gonna budge. That's then you're you're not understanding the whole purpose of creating the four madhabs in the first place. All four imams, or the four leaders, the four founders, or the four of the four madhabs, you know what they said. If you found a hadith is proven to be authentic, then my school of thought automatically follows it. Again, if you find a hadith authentic, if it's proven to be authentic, without we don't even c- don't have to come and ask me My school of thought Follows it automatically But you at least have to be At least a student of knowledge To understand the difference Between on a, you know authentic hadith And you know Getting the evidences Where are you getting The evidences from This is critical too That's why Scholars And students of knowledge They're not necessarily Required to follow Because they know How to get evidences Regarding a specific hadith Normal people Might not be able to You understand? Mixing opinions to make your life easier is a sin. Mixing opinions because it makes more sense that certain things from other madhabs make more sense to you is permissible. Mixing, you know, things from different schools of thought because of a necessity, because you're in a situation that you have to do this, like I said, combining prayers and making wudu, making masjah, uh, you know, wiping on your socks, that's fine, you know? If you find evidence more compelling on certain issues, you are allowed to go out of that madhab that you're on because you sincerely believe that it's more compelling. That evidence is more compelling to me regarding this hadith than the you know another school of thought, then it's okay. As long as you're not doing it to take the easy route. That's why the people who say a layman should follow a specific uh, school of thought because they might be confused and they might that might lead them to cherry pick and we don't want that to happen to you know our Muslim nation. That is what the difference between uh, the four schools of thought is. that's, that's it. Not earth shattering, nothing to fight about, nothing to be you know rude about with other fellow Muslims. No. It, they're all correct. They're all striving to get the, you know, the most accuracy when it comes to the Sunnah of the Prophet and interpreting the Quran. That's it, you know. So uh, I hope that you know shed some light on the difference between the four schools of thought. Thank you so much for listening. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.